0: My name Jimmy. I'm an alcoholic. I am a drunk. Okay. First thing I got to do is I got to thank the committee, and especially my friend Liz for inviting me over here this weekend to participate in you office. And that's what I get to do. I get to. I'm the lucky guy out of the group. You know, I know my friend David down there. He's he's only here this way. What time did you get here? Today, David? Three. Only well, about twice, maybe really, three times. You know, and he's got to wait close of honor to do it. You know, so he's going to really get driving himself crazy until he gets up here. But I get, you know, I get the break. I really do. I just talk, and I get to join y'all. participate. And that's the neat part about. It. So the thing is, is uh, especially that, especially this you know, I got here this afternoon and, and I looked at the program and, and, uh, she had, she has my name in the program. I was just correct. I really was. See, typically what happens, I mean, I'm not, uh, you don't want to bring up old habits or old things, but the reality is, is that what typically happens is I'll get a call at about 1 or 1 30 on a Friday afternoon, you know, and they'll say something like, we had this real good speaker to kick off tonight, and they called up and canceled. This is one that always gets me, you're the last guy we can think of. You know, and I, and I, I want to know how many people they call to get me, you know. But she didn't do that. She called me two weeks ago. She gave me good notice. Typically, I've got a label that I've been kind of given to, give it to or a mantra, if you will, because of those guys. I'm the speaker to be announced later. You know. And that's not to, you know, not to toot my own horn or anything like that. But if you see on the flyer, speaker to be announced later, see, you're here tonight, now you don't have to go. See?
1: You
0: say, oh, I heard that speaker. I mean, he, you know, I got to stay, you know. So.
1: <clears throat>
0: I'm just an alcoholic. I'm just an alcoholic who uh, used my owner and Canada to go from time to time, which I got addicted. But so we won't go there. Because this is a meeting of alcoholics, you know? and as your banner so rightly proclaims, it is in fact this weekend is in evidence, it's flat out in your face, undeniable evidence that everybody in this room is in fact under a total and I'm delighted with the fact that that I got the opportunity to kick this thing off because. You know, I mean, that's the way I feel. That's the way I've felt for a long time. That the process of recovery is so absolutely magnificent. And the miracle that is about the recovery from the disease that we're told that we have, it's such a turnaround that these kinds of events, and I, I love my friend announced it all the future ones, because, Those are celebrations. They really are. They're chance to get together with the people who in fact have been in the process of healing. And the neat part about that is nowhere else, nowhere else, no other organization, no other terminal illness, if you will, has such celebrations. You know, they have Survivor's meetings. and I'm not knocking them. please don't un- please understand I'm not knocking them. They have survivors meetings or they have seminars or they have they have education meetings or whatever, but they don't celebrate the fact that they are in fact every day like I am that I walk around on the grassy side of the, of the ground I'm a miracle. I'm a living, breathing, walking room. And that's what I want to talk about. I, I, I've got to set some caveats, the stakes to the ground, if you will, before I get started here. I don't go long-winded into a drug law. And I'm not knocking the people who do, but literally, as far as I'm concerned, my life started uh, about 24 years ago. You know, it really did. Any semblance of life, that I had before that was purely coincidental. I mean, really, you know, I, I love the kind of terminology that, that, uh, uh, the Wilson used in the book. Because it's pretty to the point, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of right there, kind of hits you dead, you know, in the middle of your chest or wherever you think it ought to hit you. But it's, it's pretty good, you know, it, it, says, the alcoholic life is the abnormal one. So he usually doesn't think so, you know. And, and they also use real nice little terms like, the alcoholic is in full flight from reality. Not half flight. Not over there on the, on the hover place, you know. Not warm enough. Full flight from reality, you know. But you ask an alcoholic how he's doing, even a new alcoholic in the program, you know, and he'll tell you, you know, he'll tell you, i am doing fine today. Of course, we all know what fine means, right? I was lucky enough to hear a speaker by the name of Bobby about, about 20 years ago over here in Cincinnati. And he talked about fine, first time I heard. It. And you know, when I came in Alcoholics Saddam, the last person that I wanted to be was an alcoholic. The last place that I I make no apologies about this. The last place I wanted to be on any given Friday night, you know, was hanging out with a bunch of alcoholics. That to me was dot a real good indicator that a good time was in the office, you know. That that meant that there was going to be some destruction, you know. There was going to be somebody hurt before this deal was over with. In the last days, the people that I hang around with, you know, they hurt people. And they hurt them pretty regularly. But not one of them, not one of them that I met. Not one of them, and I would perceive that there's not one person in this room tonight that every in the middle of your cusp of your drinking or using ever got up in the morning and said, gee, it's not going to be a bad day out today. Let's see. I'll go destroy somebody else's life today and wind up in jail and have everybody mad at me. I don't think anybody ever did that. You know, I know I did. I didn't have a clue what I was doing to other people most of the time. You know, the standard mantra of the practicing alcoholic out there was, well, everybody does it, don't day. You know, somebody gave me an interesting statistic one time. They said in the city of Indianapolis there's 1.4 million people. They have they have incarceration, incarceration housing in that city for a little over 5000 Okay? Now figure the odds. Even if it was a horrible problem, even if it was a horrible problem, and all jail cells were full, and they were overflowed, we're still talking about a very, very, very small minority ...of the population. You know, and that... Well, everybody goes to jail, doesn't it? No. Everybody doesn't go to jail. So when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous... ...on the 20th day of... ...May of 1980... ...I looked around... ...and this was the last place I wanted to be. As a matter of fact... ...you know... What was interesting, and I bet we have the people in this room tonight, and I, I welcome you here tonight, if you're in this condition. They came, I came to the meeting, and I looked around the room, and the last person that I wanted to be, on that day, in that room, was me. That was the last. No matter how bad your trauma was, no matter how bad your affliction, no matter how bad your life, quote unquote, was at that time, I could guarantee you, we start playing, can you top this, and I'll get to the top of the hill as fast as anybody. Because that's the fact. You know, I anybody's life was better than mine. Anybody's was. And I was a prisoner inside my own body. You know, I knew, I knew you were tricking me. I knew what you were talking about. I'd heard the people. You know, they said things to me like, you keep it up, you're going to, you're going to lose your job. Well, I was looking for this one when I got it, you know. <laughs> she said, if you don't, quit that, I'll leave. Goodbye. You know? They said, if you don't quit doing that, we're going to take your driver's license away. I said, that never stopped me from driving before. I don't know why I would now. You know, they'll cancel your insurance. So? And your point is? You know, they said, we're going to lock you up. I said, well, if that's the worst it's going to get, I could probably do with that, you know. A friend of mine told a story about about a guy <clears throat> going in front of a judge recently. And he was there because of a DUI, and it was a second offense, And the guy had his wife and his kids with him, and he had a legal counsel there, and the wife and the kids and the legal counsel and went in to see the judge, and he came back out, and the proceeding started, and the man walked up in front of the judge, and he said, I sentenced you to 60 days of jail, and the young man, and then he said, but I'm Take it into consideration the fact that your wife and your children are here and that you got a job and you were represented by counsel. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna suspend that to a point of being four weekend in jail or ten days. And the guy said, Well, Judge, it's all the same to you. I just soon sort of go serve ten days all at once. The judge said that I was the only one in the room that was considerate of your wife, your kids, your job, and your lawyer. We'll let you serve that ten days and 180 more. You know the 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 absolute insanity of that logic was that I understood that God. I understood that God Made sense to me. You know, and that was just a part of the myriad of things that got me to the program. But thank God I got here. You know, I've often heard it said that people say that, you know, in, in conversations, with the worst thing that, uh, you know, the worst day on earth was the day that they came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I stand here in absolute commitment to the fact that very best day that happened in my life was the day that I encountered a program called Alcoholics Run. I mean, that's when it turned around for me. You know, and people said some interesting things to me, and I don't know about you. I know a few folks over here in Cincinnati, so consequently, I knew, know some of the, of the comments that are made around here, and, and the fact is, don't believe them, though. No. I didn't mean that, Andy. uh, But the fact is, when I came into the program, you know, I make no apologies for this, but I wasn't interested in, in the guy who had 30 days. I wasn't interested in the guy who had 60 days. I wasn't interested in the guy that had 90 days or six months or a year. I wasn't. I was interested in a guy who pulled up in front of the place with seven or eight or nine years of sobriety. And it seemed like he had his hair combed for a change and he had decent clothes on. And he talked with some semblance of articulation. And he had a decent car that didn't have dents on all around him. You know, and he had he had things and people around him that were worthwhile. He had self-respect. Self respect. The thing that was so foreign to me at that time. You know, I would have paid whatever to get it. And I was interested in that guy. I was interested in long term what's this deal gonna do? What's it gonna do? And so early on I gravitated to those individuals. You know, and the individuals I came in around were not real nice talkers, okay? They weren't very smooth. They were kind of direct, you know? They kind of used things like uh either you do it our way or you're gonna die, you know? They didn't mince words. And you know, something I don't hear very much anymore Used to hear it a lot. Who well, sounds like you're thirsty. You want a drink? We'll get you one. You know. There was no pat him on the poo poo and 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 uh, you know, won't keep coming back. You know. They said, You wanna go, go I can remember very vividly, you know, this guy by the name of Jack the Fireman, he was smooth. Uh, you know, about like a train wreck. You know. And I walked into this club one day, and I'm standing there getting a cup of coffee, and he walked in, and, and he said, Are you an alcoholic? And I looked at him, and I said, Yeah, I think I am. And he said, I don't think you are. Said, what do you mean you don't think I am? I don't think you are. And I said, why do you think that? You don't know me for math. He said, you still got your watch and your shoes. (laughs) Well, I was indignant. You know, I mean, that guy made me mad. You know, who did he think he was? So I went out and stayed sober for another day, despite it. You know, despite it. I walked into a meeting. I was in a meeting one day, and I'm living in a recovery house. I mean, not what you'd call, you know, the Taj Mahal. And I'm in there, and I'm waxing philosophical for one day. And one of the individuals came up to me, and he said, you know, something real nice and smooth. He said, God gave you two ears, one mouth. Figure it out. I couldn't the first time he said that.
1: I couldn't.
0: I had to go ask him what he meant, you know. You want to talk about embarrassed, you know. He said, well, tell you what. He said, I'll make it easy on you. Why don't you just pull that cotton out of your ears and instead of putting it in your own, you know where, put it in your mouth. It'll do more good. I thought, man, this guy's smooth, you know? I'll tell you a little bit before we get into that. I came out of high school headed for college with all the anticipation of any other 18 year old. I mean, the world was going to be my oyster. You know, somebody had done something to me, and I'm of the belief that this happens frequently with people in the program. I really do. Some point in my early childhood years or teenage years or early 20s, somewhere around in there, somebody, I did something to gain some notoriety or some claim, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and they said, "You geniuses our sharp cookie. You got to bring. You got to. You're gonna go for it. You know." And I took that information and sat right here in the back of my head. And so when alcohol was introduced into that little environment, you know, and I can't stand up here and tell you that the reason I'm an alcoholic is because I was beaten at the hands of abusive parents or that I was from a one-parent family or that I had strange brothers and sisters or that, you know, I suffered any kind of indignation. I was born in a Midwestern family, and although we didn't have everything we needed or we wanted, we had everything we needed. I came from a family of twelve kids, and you know, my father said it was the guy who said it was chief by the dozen ought to be taken out and being shot. Some days I'd agree with him, you know, but the fact is the man provided, you know, in a in a good Catholic way. Obviously, we were Catholic, you know, and honest to goodness, the four step will get rid of that stuff. It really will you know, you can become a recovering Catholic, too, as well as, you know, and I was a family of practicing Catholics, and although I practiced, practiced, I never got any better at it, you know. Sometime later, you know, people would come up to me, and they'd say, you know, are you still a Catholic? I'd say, well, you know, that's kind of like walking up to a black man and saying, I know you were raised black, but are you still one today? You know, it's just, I mean, it's its spread in. You don't have much choice, you know. But the point is, I can't stand up here and tell you that it was by my economic or social or environmental background that led me to the program or any kind of trauma, those kinds of things. I'm the epitome of what the, what the Chinese say, you know, and they have a saying about alcoholism. They say, first the man takes the drink and then the drink takes the drink and then the drink takes the drink. And it's pretty much that order. That's exactly what happened to me. I wish I would have been a little more attentive while it was going on. You know, I might have enjoyed the trip a little better. I don't know. But it took me to places that I absolutely didn't want to go. It made me do things that I absolutely didn't want to do. And I did them anyway, You know, and I arrived at Alcoholics Anonymous at eight thirty, and I was just immature little black. You know, while the rest of the world was growing up, while the rest of the world was gaining maturity, while the rest of the world was taking on responsibility, getting married and having families and, and taking care of business and buying out and all those kinds of thing. you know, doing what adults are supposed to do, out to get drunk. So I came to Alcoholics Anonymous without all of the normal tools that normal people would use to accommodate the world at age 30. Now, had you asked me whether or not I had the tools, you know, this would be about a six-hour lead, you know, but it's not going to be that. Because I've found out through the program of recovery. And it is a program of recovery, not just 12 steps. Program of recovery. i found out through the program of recovery that the book was absolutely right. That there comes a point in time in this program where your imagination will be fired. And life will mean something at last that no matter how far down the scale we've gone, we can see how our experiences can benefit others. You know, it says, um, it says the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Ahead. And I questioned that. I really did. Until I was lucky enough to be around as individual. Who didn't get to the program until '72? I happened to be in the room when when he was on his deathbed and he was 84. And what do you say to a man who's dying? What do you say? He comes back. going to be all right. And John looked at him and he said, no, Fred. It's not going to be all right. It is all right. He said, I can sincerely say to you that at 84 years old I have only lived the last 12 years. And he said, I would have missed the whole thing had I not understood found out what life was all about at age seventy two. Well that's an unbelievable state. That's an unbelievable state. Does did, did his life have some similar to problem? Did his life have trouble? Sure he did. Welcome to the human race. You know I've been around, hanging around this place for 23 years and 6 months and a couple of days and, and what I've discovered by hanging around here is guess what? The program of Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't, doesn't immune, immune me for trauma. It doesn't immune me for problems. It doesn't say that I'm gonna float out of here on gilded wings or anything like that. I was lucky enough to be in an audience like this well, somebody explained it to me. I know you've heard it. I heard it hundreds of times in meetings. I heard people saying that it's life on life's terms, right? Life on life's terms. Life on life's terms. And I repeated that statement, life on life's terms. Life on life's terms. Until I was lucky enough to be in the audience. And a man said, no, it's not life on life. Life on God's terms. My job is to live life on God's terms, and it's not the God that throws things at me. It's life that does. But if I live it on God's terms, guess what? I got a shot. I can get through anything. For a year and a half into sobriety, you know, I'm, I'm a single. I was i a single guy a whole lot better looking than now, but, you know, age has its way. But I'm single, and it's a woman, you know. I get to meet this lady in the program. And, uh, you know, see, I didn't choose her, because as I chose, you know, my order, when I put it in when I was single, was that, that she'd be about five, six, five, seven, blonde. Southern accent, and I told him I do the interviewing for him. Okay. Now I mean no will ill to the ladies in the audience tonight, but I must report to you that in the fall of 1981, there were some very, very sick women in Alcoholics I know. I met them all. One day in my morning meditation, I said, God, I quit. That's it. You want me, to, of course, alcoholics are nothing but extreme. You want me to be celibate for the rest of my life? I will be. You know, relationship celibacy, you know. Not too long after that, this five-foot-two inch brunette lady came into my life. You know, and for 20 years, we were partners. And, you know, I could stand up here and tell you that I was was a little bit rancorous out there among them. But as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I learned a lesson called fidelity. And I can stand up here in front of you and tell you that for the better part of 20 years, I was faithful to that one. Now, that doesn't mean anything to anybody. It means to me gives me that self-esteem that I look for in that very first thing, but something that has to be earned around you. It can't be given. You can't give that away. A year and a half into that marriage, she walked into the house and announced that she was pregnant. <clears throat> I look forward to being a father with all the anticipation and all the optimism of any other expected father. I- I really thought God made a great choice and selected me to be responsible for another human being. Six months into that into that uh, pregnancy, my wife called me from Evansville and announced that, that she hadn't felt the baby's heartbeat all day. She called the doctor and the doctor said he either come to Indianapolis or go to a hospital there in, in Evansville and she said I chose to go the nap meet me at the hospital. I did that and you know when you walk on an O B ward and you walk down the hall and people look at you and they're looking away rather than continue to look at you, it's not good. Anyway, when you walk up in front of a, of a nurse's station, and the nurse turns and without even blinking an eye, she says, Mr. Heshin, they're waiting on you right over there. You know it's not good. I walked into that observation room and my wife was there and her obstetrician and a couple of other specialists were there. And he said, "Jim, I got some bad news and I got some real bad news. The bad news is the baby is dead. The real bad news is the position of the fetus and a number of technical things that we won't go into at this moment. She has what we call the 2% people in the field of obstetrics, you simply don't know anything about it. In fact, if we were to deliver the child tonight, there's a very, very, very good likelihood that she would die. She so the only way that we know to get through this is that she carried the baby to church. So that meant for two and a half months, she was going to be walking around with a death beating. You want to talk about powerlessness? I'll tell you about it. You want to talk about unmanageability or inability to manage anything in your life? But because of the grace and the absolute understanding of people in this program, we got through that. We got through that. And on the day that she had a child, we named it and we buried it. We did all those kinds of things. And Raj Tetrician had been with us through that whole three month period. And he pulled me off to the side and he said, I gotta ask. I gotta ask. Where do you get this drink? He said, You two people gotta be two of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. Where do you get it from? And I told him where I got it from. And he said, Yeah, I know about AA, but where do you really get it? From? Who's your pastor? What church do you attend? See, telling him those kinds of things just didn't compute. I know, and you know, that the difference between spirituality and religion is very simple. Spirituality, or excuse me, religion is man-made. Spirituality is God's gift. And he's selected who he gives it. Religion is for those of us who are scared to death of going to hell. Spirituality is for those of us who have already been there. And if you understand that, no other, you know, no other explanation is like the book. I love the opening line of the book. It's pretty plain and simple right there. It says we are a group of 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. You know, they didn't have to explain to me seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I knew exactly what they were talking about. You know, when they talked about, when they said things to me like pitiful, incomprehensible, demoralization, they didn't have to define that. They didn't have to explain. I knew what they meant. You know, when they said we've come to that point where we had to make a choice. And what would our choice, we were at the jumping off point. We could either go on with a life that we really didn't choose, and I'm paraphrasing there, or a life of spirituality, what was our choice to be. I knew about that point. (coughs) I knew about that point. But they went on to say, in the opening lines of the book, they said they said simply, to show others precisely how we recovered is the main purpose of the book. Precisely. That doesn't sound like the guess to me, okay? I had a guy early on say to me, let me see, how far can precisely can you deviate? Of course, my answer was, can I think about that a (laughs) bit? And it goes on to say, we hope these pages prove so that no further authentication is necessary. In other words, and I'm not knocking on the literature in AA, please, I've read it all. But the basis for the text alcoholics Alexander is so simple that it is, in fact, for complicated people. It says, listen, if you don't believe it, go back out there. But if you believe this, we've got a life here that's beyond your wildest dreams. We'll, in fact, grant you a miracle of healing. And we'll do it freely. We won't ask of anything of you other than you hand it on to the next person. And I've been lucky enough to travel in the circles of, of people who are some pretty heavy thinkers. You know, they really are. You know, they found I was coming over here tonight. You know, and they said, don't forget to tell them where you got right. it from us. Not- it's a good parent. That's all you are. And that's all I am is a good parent. And before I close I gotta leave you with something. I want you to know what your are a part of it is. I want you to know how significant this is. This miracle of healing that we get to participate
1: in this weekend.
0: And that's what it is. It's participation. It's half time. It's
1: dancing tomorrow night. Not me. i okay?
0: Let me give you an idea of what the kind of significance you got your hands on here. A number of years ago, this woman that I met who's looked over today. I met her. <coughs> excuse me. When she came into the program. She was pregnant. And she uh, came into the program out that she had a drunken husband who she divorced and sober she had the child. It wasn't her first, it was about the fourth, I think. Well, having four kids and a drunken husband was a little tough, but staying sober was more important to her, so she went on welfare and she collected food stamps and lifted stuff that I it, and did the best she could to take care of those kids the best she could, all the while making her number one priority participate in the program no matter what. When Elizabeth, the youngest, got to be about five, because of legal things that were, in fact, the way they should be, the father got visitation rights to the kids, as he should have. Only problem with that is for, it got noticeable after a period of time that every, the Friday when the father was supposed to come over and pick up the kids, this five year old child would, would turn into about three o'clock in the afternoon, she'd turn into a little brat. And she'd be real, real, uh, you know, unruly and real uncooperative and real all kinds of things and, and just totally incorrigible. And this went on and on and Anne noticed it and got, it got to bother Anne and, and she had an idea that maybe possibly it had to, something to do with, with her father and the state that he came over and picked up the kid. And one day in her frustration after, after Elizabeth was particularly incorrigible, she said, Elizabeth, you're just going to have to understand something. Your father's an alcoholic, and that's how alcoholic's act. With an astonished look on her face, the child looked up at her mother
1: and said, Mom, he can't be an alcoholic. He can't be.
0: You know, he takes us home to his house on Friday nights, and then he leaves and leaves us all alone. You know, there's times when there's not enough to eat there, and we have to go next door to the apartment next door and ask him for food. You know, there's nights when he doesn't come home until the 1 or 2 in the morning. You know, there's times when he brings other people back with him, and it's scary, Mom. He's nothing like you. He can't be an alcoholic. He's nothing like you. He doesn't go to meetings. He doesn't have a sponsor. He doesn't make sure we're up to good, you know, to go to school in the morning. He doesn't make sure our clothes are clean. He doesn't take care of us. He can't be an alcoholic. This five year old child's perception of what an alcoholic is is not the direct society. It's not the It's not the derelness. What is her perception of what an alcoholic is? I think she's got it right. I really do. And you look around this room tonight and for this weekend, and if you listen to my friend David and the other speakers, I think you'll find a miracle of healing that will absolutely permeate throughout. And that permeation is, in fact, the fact that we are, in fact, changing the very definition of the word alcohol. We're in the process of doing it right now. And you're a part of that. Colton J. Sheet, in 1956, Colton J. Sheet, Bishop Sheet, made this statement that was often misquoted. He said that alcoholics anonymous was God's gift the 21st century. He was misquoted in saying the 20th century. He meant this one. The one we're in. The one you're a part of. And I really do believe he said the 21st century because he knew something. He knew organized movements or disorganized movements like we were usually needed about 50 years to shake out the the cobwebs and get the, you know, the problems. Where to where. And we've done a pretty good job of that. You know, we've had our ups and downs, but the fact is, we made that happen. We made that happen. And for those of you who think that sobriety somehow is the guarantee of everything sailing smoothly, in the past year and a half, I lost a major job. I lost my wife, I lost my father, and I found out that I had MS. Fun year, huh? You know what my sponsor said? He said, guess what? We'll help you get through this. And the fact is that I am better person today because of those kinds of things happening. Because I got the opportunity to see you. Not me. Not me. I got the opportunity to participate in a thing called recovery, where people came out of the woodwork and helped me. For no apparent reason. Go down anywhere on Rumsest on on what the reading road tonight. Tell them you had these problems. Could you get some help? See how quickly they jump to the, you know, to your age. They won't. But those kinds of things happen in the program. And the issue is not that they happen. And my friend Tammy had some trauma in her life. But I know something about Tammy. Because she's here tonight, I know something about her. I know that she's going to survive all that, and it's going to be better. And she's going to get the opportunity to realize what it is that allowed her to get through that. And what it is is what this program is all about. It is the fact the Miracle of Evil. See, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for help that I might do great things that I was given infirmity and I might do better than I asked for riches, that I might be happy. I was given poverty, that I might be wise. I asked for power, that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness, so that I might feel the need for God. I got nothing I asked for, but almost everything I ever owned. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among man richly blessed. My name is Jim Hesham. I'm an alcoholic. I don't care who knows it, as long as I don't ever forget.
1: Thank you.